This is your coffee break. Hi, friends. I have with me today my good friend, Matt Paulson. Um, and we are speaking face to face for the first time via the magic of Skype. So, hello, Matt. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here today. Matt is the author of, let's see, two books. You have a lot. Mm-hmm. You have a lot here. So, two books, a blog, and three businesses. Yeah. That would be a good explanation. (laughs) Good. Uh, Matt got his start as, a, I believe, a personal finance blogger Mm -hmm. and has since grown his own empire. And he has such an interesting story, and I can't wait for him to share it with you today. So, Matt, can you start us off by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yeah. So I am an entrepreneur. Um, I live in Sioux Falls. I'm married with a three-year-old. I'm always looking for the next big idea, and then whatever that idea shows up, I jump on it right away. And um, having done that for 10 years now, I've just got a lot of stuff that I've done, and some of those have worked out well, and a lot of those didn't, but uh, it, it's just kind of how, how it goes. And um, I, I've got kind of a, a little publishing empire. Um, I'm a writer. I started out that way, and it's kind of just really exploded from there, and you know, now we've got a company that does a crap ton of revenue, and we have a newsletter that has hundreds of thousands of subscribers, and you know, you ever really think anything like that's going to happen and it just kind of slowly grows and evolves and becomes a huge kind of monster you just have to deal with and keep growing and just that's where it ended up. That is really cool. I, I like that it seems like you just accidentally stumbled into this. I know you're a very strategic thinker mm-hmm. and you put a lot of very cautious planning into your business growth and into what you do. And um, I know your latest book is about email marketing. It's called Email Marketing Demystified. And mm-hmm. it sounds like it's kind of a strategic clue into building maybe a digital, maybe not publishing. Yeah, that's the right word. <laughs> okay. A digital publishing platform. Is that yeah. accurate? Good. Can you tell me a little bit, before we get into the book, a little bit about your story? So I was in college. Um, I went to Dakota State University. I went there from like 2004 to 2008. Um, There weren't a lot of job opportunities in the city of Madison, South Dakota of 8,000 people. Um, When I was a freshman in college, I worked at McDonald's because that was the only place that hired me. Um, So I, my sophomore year came around. It's like, there's got to be a better opportunity than this. So I figured out there was a website called ProBlogger and there was a job board on there and you could, you know, make some money writing for people. And I did some of that. And then that kind of evolved into, um, there was a website called Associated Content in like 2006, 2007, and they'd pay you to write articles on there. So I did that. I would write a bunch a day. And then that turned into a personal finance blog, which is called American Consumer News. And um, I really just made that my grind. I would write four articles, 400 words each, each and every day. And I did that for like two years straight. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so that, that, was, that was kind of where I cut my teeth writing. But there were so many other personal finance blogs out there. It is just obnoxious. They used to have what was called like a blog carnival where everyone would submit their best post for a week. And they'd have like 150 submissions from 150 blogs every week. And it's like, this is just a too competitive a market for me. I've got to find something else to do. And I mean, the reality is I was like 24, 25. You know, what do I have to say personal finance is somebody who's, you know, not a lot smarter than me is going to be able to say. So I thought, you know, it's probably time to pivot and you know, at the same time, there were a lot of Google changes happening and sites that had a lot of content that were, it wasn't very that long. Um, you know, you got hammered in the search rankings. So, you know, I saw traffic take a dive in like 2010 and 2011. And, you know, it's kind of that time. It's like, all right, let's 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 figure out what the next thing is. Um, 
So I, I figured out that like when we could, we publish articles about um, some of the big banks, so like Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America. Um, when we wrote about those, they'd get picked up by some of the major financial news portals, so places like MSN Money, Yahoo Finance, Google Finance. You know, they picked them up, and we get quite a bit of traffic on those. So I figured, you know, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here. It's not, you know, I can keep writing, but it's not necessarily reliant on organic, you know, search traffic as much. Um, there's kind of a, it's a different ballpark, and it's not quite as competitive for um, search rankings because there are just fewer people in those platforms. Um, and it's a little bit more diversified. Um, so I thought, hey, there's, there's an opportunity here. Um, so we started creating content uh, in the financial space. And you know, I wanted to have something that was more sustainable. So we started collecting email opt-ins. We made a newsletter of just kind of a summary of what stockbrokers are saying about individual stocks every day. And that really blew up uh, pretty quickly because people that own stocks get emotionally invested in them. They always want to know what's going on with them. So you know, we had a pretty good, um, pretty good amount of traffic. Uh, 2012-ish, we were getting about a million page views a month. So we were able to collect just quite a few opt-ins. Uh, now we're probably at about 3 million page views a month. We get about 35,000 opt-ins a month. I think we're at about 270,000 subscribers. Um, so it has just exploded in the last couple of years. And you know, we figured out how to do advertising inside the newsletter and um, just a lot of different monetization points. So the business has you know, doubled in revenue for the last three years and every year. So it's just it's gone up like crazy, and it's been a lot of fun, and it's been a lot of work, but uh, it's been a good business. So, I mean, it's interesting because, like, in the financial space, you know, there's a lot less writing to do than you'd think because it's all um, structured financial data. I mean, earnings numbers are what they are, and so, so many of the articles are so just formulaic. Like, this company announced earnings; they announced this much per share. Analysts were expecting this much per share. Here's what the CEO said about earnings, and it's just. It became so formulaic that I thought, you know, hey, there's got to be a way that I can automate some of this stuff. Um, so we, I created some software that would create fi- or financial news articles based on structured financial data. So now we publish, you know, 500-ish financial news articles a day that's written by a computer, which is kind of fun. <laughs> um, so in that business, I don't do any writing anymore. But, um, you know, I, I do writing in my books. I, I got bored about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, and I published a book and I decided I didn't have enough pain, so I published another one um, this year that's coming out at the end of this month. So they're both on Amazon, and I self-published both of those, but you know, de- pretty decent money with them. So it's, uh, it's, it's been fun doing that. I'll probably do another one next year. So that, I guess that's the story in a nutshell. And I love that you put so much work into the beginning of that. Do you credit, you know, 400, what is it, four blog posts of 400 words each every single day? How long did that take you, and how did you balance that as a college student and balance that with studies? Yeah, I did it in college. I did it during the summers when I had an internship. So like I'd write one in the morning before work. I'd write like a couple over the lunch hour and then like one after work and just kind of pounded them out. Um, I took the website down and it's not anything I'd be necessarily proud to show off as my best work, um, you know, having written for so many years. But it, w- it was a grind and it was a good grind and I did it for a couple of years and um, I think I'm a much better result writer as a result of doing that. It's, you know, it's hard for some of us to even just write, you know, 100 words a day on one thing. So that's really, really admirable that you're able to do that. Um, I will edit out ums and sips of water and stuff as we go. So that's good. <laughs> I think we have the same microphone, by the way. I think we do, too. I just have I have a little windscreen. Do you have a blue Yeti? Yeah, I got the I got the pop filter, though, instead of the windscreen. <laughs> that's awesome. I got um, I kind of want to. It's over there, so I won't go get it, but I made my own pop filter out of, like, a coat hanger with, like, a nylon over it. 
That's funny. It's ridiculous, which is really silly because pop filters really aren't, you know, incredibly expensive anyway. But yeah, I digress. So you started out as a writer, and I'm really curious as to your thoughts on having a essentially a machine or a computer do your writing for you. I think that's such an interesting topic, and we live in these interesting times. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the craft of writing versus sort of the more business side of writing where it makes sense, you know, to have uh, a computer do your writing for you. But what are your thoughts on that? So you can do algorithmic content creation in a very few niche kind of things where the speed of the information is very important and the data in the reporting is more important than the analysis. Um, So it works great in the financial space and it works great in sports uh, just because there's so much data and it's pretty easy to turn that into a narrative. Which, When a company announces like their quarterly earnings, people want to know those numbers right away. And when you have, you know, a human do it, uh, there's a delay there. And when the computer does it, it happens right away. Um, there, used to, there was an episode of the Planet Money podcast pretty recently where they pitted up a, a company called um, Automated Insights. They do similar to what I do, but they, they had a computer compete with uh, um, a person writing a write-up on the company's quarterly earnings. So they do quarterly earnings um, articles for the Associated Press and they put it up that against the human in the article. It's like they, they read them out loud and it sounded pretty much the same, which is, I mean, the human had a little bit more more of a voice than the algorithmically created content did. But, you know, they both got the same piece of information and they both did it um, pretty well. And it was just interesting to see the results of those. So, like, you know, about a year and a half ago, the Associated Press, did, they were going to start using software to create articles and some very few specific financial niches. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. We've been doing this for about four years now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. If only I'd filed a patent, I could I could be getting some money out of those guys, but oh uh, I did not gosh. do that. Oh my gosh. Lessons learned, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. That's so incredible though. So kind of thinking about the connection you have between writing and technology. I know that I have a lot of bloggers who listen to this podcast and to my other podcast. And I was wondering if you had any blogging advice or tech advice for those listeners. I think, you know, what I see happen with blog, people that are bloggers a lot is that you spend too much time writing and not enough time promoting your content. I, I've been guilty of that before. So it's like you, you craft great content and you might share it out in your Facebook and Twitter accounts, but then you don't really do much beyond that. And I think the people that build the audience, you know, build large audiences aren't the people that write the most or write the best. It's the people that really market themselves and promote themselves and go on podcasts and comment on other people's blogs and go to conferences and um, you know, there are a lot of people in kind of the internet marketing space. There's a guy named Pat Flynn who's a great example of that. You know, he's he writes about online business and if you look at his actual online businesses, they're not I mean that they're fine. They make 10, 20 grand a month, but they're not the most impressive in the world. But he has such a nice warm personality. He's on at every business conference you could think of and he goes on other people's podcasts and he's on YouTube. He's everywhere. And you know, people that do stuff like that are the seem to be the people that build the largest audiences. So, you know, if you want to become a writer, you know, go ahead and write. But if you want to have the audience behind you, you know, think about, think strategically about, you know, how am I going to get people to see this? That's great advice. Do you have, um, like, what would be the number one key for someone just starting out? They're just starting a blog and they're like, how do I even begin to get an audience? Do you have a first piece of advice for them? Yeah, I mean, I think the key is to leverage other people's existing audiences. So like, if I were going to start a blog about writing, I would email my friend Sarah Warner and say, hey, can I be on your podcast? 
um, or, or something like that. Um, so just find other people who already have an audience, you know, around what you're wanting to write about, and just try to get in front of their audiences. Um, that's a great way to do it. You know, people are very receptive to having guests on your podcast and letting people guest blog on your website, and it's that's not like you're asking them to. I don't know. It's not like you're asking them to marry you or anything. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's a it's a pretty easy yes for people because it's free content for them and you know makes them look better because they know you're going to share it out. So it's just find those people that have an audience and just try try to leverage that in some way. Very cool. Yeah, I, I think the key with it is just to be systematic about it. So maybe like every Tuesday and Thursday you email somebody and say, "Hey, can I do a guest post on your website?" And say maybe every Monday you uh, email somebody and say, "Hey, can I be on your podcast?" And then. Like every Wednesday, you, know, you just make a calendar out of it and say, okay, this on Wednesday I'm going to schedule my social media post for the next week. And you know, you, we just kind of make it a grind and a regular thing that you do. So it's, it's happening on purpose and not just kind of by accident when you think about it. That is really good. And see, I'm learning stuff even just here talking with you. So I am curious. I know that a lot of your success has been built on your email list, which you kind of spoke earlier and which is the subject of your, of your new book, Email Marketing Demystified. Um, when is it a good time to begin sort of collecting email addresses and how do you go about doing that? Sure. Um, I think you should collect emails from day one. Um, so email as a marketing channel is very much a long-term play. The first six to 12 months that you do it, you're not going to, you're not going to build a big list quickly and you're not going to see the results of that very quickly, but it's kind of a thing that snowballs. It's like you could start saving for retirement 10 years from now or you could start today and be very glad that you, you know, 10 years from now that you started 10 years ago. So it, it's kind of like that. Um, it, it's usually a slow, slow grind. You know, the first couple months, you probably aren't going to get a lot of opt-ins, but you'll get some. And it's, it, it's, it's something where you ramp up because, you know, you might have 5% of your people unsubscribe every month. But if you get 100, then 5% of those unsubscribe, you've got 95 the first month and like 180 the next month. And it just kind of builds up over time. So, I mean, even if you're just getting started, I'd, I'd collect email addresses. It's really not that hard to do. You can create an account with like MailChimp or Aweber or Drip or just any email service provider. MailChimp has a free tier for people just getting started. And then all you have to do is hook that up to um, a pop-up plugin. Um, Optin Monster is one that a lot of people use. And there's another one that I can't remember the name of that a lot of people use. <laughs> um, but there, there are several. Um, they're all in my book. And I'll send anybody a free copy that wants one. Um, if you want to learn how to do it, just go grab a copy of my book. I'm not trying to make money off anybody. Uh, so just, just email me and I'll, I'll send you the PDF. That's so generous of you. Oh, my gosh. So I hope I hope you guys paid attention to that. In today's show notes, I'll be sure to have a link to uh, Matt's blog where you can get a free copy of his book. From, I think, September 30th to October 4th on Amazon, the, book, the, the Kindle version will be free. Oh. Um, so go and grab it. Cool. Very, very cool. Um, so I'll make sure to hook you guys up with a free copy of Matt's book, Email Marketing Demystified. So I'm curious, because I'm always curious, I guess. Um, how do you prevent people from unsubscribing? Or is that not really a fear that you deal with? Um, so I have, let me see, I want to see the exact number. People worry too much about unsubscribes. They think, like, I think we have a tendency to take unsubscribes personally, like somebody saying, I never want to hear from you again. And then you just kind of feel wronged by it. And you're just like, what did I do? Why are you leaving me? It's like they're breaking up with you. And it's just you can't really, you can't take it like that because you're just going to be emotionally drained by the end of, you know, looking at every unsubscribe. That's, it's, it's even worse when you've got like a product and then somebody cancels because it's like, you know, what did I do, do wrong? You know, we get about 35,000 opt-ins a month and we probably have about 10,000 unsubscribes every month. So if I took every one of those personally, that would uh, 
I'd be probably depressed and shoot myself. <laughs> um, no, but I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, if you see extremely high on subscriber rates, you're probably doing something wrong. But you know, if you're getting no one subscribes, actually, I heard on a podcast um, today. So he's driving home. Um, there's a guy named Steli Efty who runs a, a business called Close.io, and he said that you know he has a sales business, and he said that you know if nobody's unsubscribing from your emails, you're probably doing something wrong because the emails that work the best are the ones that you know, they'll have high engagement. They'll also have high unsubscribes because people will read them and they'll have an emotional response. It'll either be positive or they take action or negative or they have unsubscribes. Either way, um, you know, they, somebody, they took action on it. And so it worked, but it also worked in a negative way. Interesting. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's part of the game. I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's just like somebody leaving your website. It's just part of the deal. And I don't take it personally. I That's mean, you unsubs- you unsubscribe from lists. I'm sure you do. Oh yeah, All the- I'm like, it's man, like- I get like nine thousand emails a day, and I'm like, nope, these. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yep, Jamba Juice. I don't live by you anymore. Goodbye. Yeah, and it's not like you you feel like you're breaking up with Jamba Juice, but that's just I don't know. It's just how things are. Mm-hmm. I liked what you said about eliciting an emotional response. Is that something that you would advise people do intentionally? Yes. So people take action. People make purchases based on emotion. As much as you would like to lay out an argument logically like why somebody should take an action, you know, it's, it's, it's the emotion that's going to cause them to do something. I mean, there's a reason that people put sex into advertising. A lot of advertisements come back to, you know, sex greed and you know, stuff like that. And they're trying to elicit an emotional um, response out of the people that see that commercial. So they take action. And that's just that's how the world of advertising works. And it's like you, you should be cognizant of that when you're writing or writing to your listeners and you want them to take an action, you should play into that. Do you have advice for playing into people's emotions? And do you do specific things to elicit specific emotions? Um, yeah. So one thing that I like to do is kind of help people paint like a, a desired future picture of themselves. So it's like, what does Sarah Warner look like after she has a podcast that has 10,000 you know, downloads every week? It's like, you want to be that person. So it's, it's like, if I can show you like what that looks like and then show you the steps to get there and one of those steps is buying my product, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a nice way to get that emotional response. And you, I don't know if there's a way that you would try to elicit different emotions. You, usually you want them to take an action. So it's like you've got to motivate them. So, I mean, obviously you don't want to piss people off because, you know, what does that do for you? Hmm. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so don't start off your emails like, hey, you big dummy. So you encourage uh, bloggers or anybody who's interested in maybe starting an online business to start collecting those email addresses as early as possible. If it's going to be someone who just wants to blog and maybe build a sort of tribe or a following, what is Mm -hmm. the end goal for those email addresses? What should they plan on doing with those? Um, So when you have a list and you're just you're a blogger and you're writing content, you're trying to build a tribe. You know, really all you need to do is whenever you write a new blog post, you email it to your list. So you send them like the first paragraph and you say, "Read the rest on my website." And that'll get people back to your website. And ultimately, if you are trying to build a tribe, you're probably trying to sell something um, eventually. So if you're making like an information product or um, like a coaching thing or anything like that, that email list will be a huge asset for you down the line whenever you're getting ready to do that. So one, it's a way to get people to drive back to your website to read more of your content. And then two, it's a great asset whenever you're getting ready to sell something down the line. I, like, I assume you have an end game for this right now podcast other than 
Other than having people on to talk about writing. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm sure there is something. Yeah, like diving Scrooge McDuck style into my room full of golden coins. Uh, you know, like you do. Yes. You know, that. and uh, yeah, yeah, the room full of golden coins is the one right next to this one. Nice. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you didn't talk to me from that one because the echo would have been terrible. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I just have, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I'd kind of plan on this being just a half hour. So just, do you have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. I love that you decided to write a book because you got bored and it, it feels maybe you felt a little complacent or or what have you. Tell mm-hmm. me about that book writing process, because I, I feel like it was a little bit of a, of a whirlwind. I feel like it happened pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so it was... You know, I, every now and then I do a personal retreat and just kind of ask myself some questions. It's like one of those questions is, you know, what can I do this year to build my personal brand? One of those things was I, I lined up to speak at Innovation Expo next week in Sioux Falls. I, you know, wanted to speak at three or four one million cups around the state. I did that. And then I thought, you know, hey, maybe I should write another book this year. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And, you know, it was June-ish or June, July when I started writing, which is kind of the slow period for me. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to start writing and however long it takes me is however long it takes me. Um, so I wrote like probably about 3,000 words a day and I did it for 18, 19, 20 days and then my book was done and I sent it off to my editor and then the book was done and I could move on to other things. So I would write, you know, every morning when I first woke up, I'd write after lunch and write around supper time and then write before bed. I, I didn't plan to write it that fast. It's just that's kind of how it happened and I didn't have anything else to do at the time. So just writing throughout the day, taking breaks, I was able to knock it out pretty quickly. I mean, it only works with some types of books because most of that knowledge is already in my head and I can just kind of bang it out. Um, if it was something I had to research more, that would not be possible. But for a type of book when you already have that, you already know everything you need to write, it's it's pretty easy to just to bang stuff out, especially when it's informational. I mean, there's not like a plot twist in there or where you know, you've got to plan it out. Um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. So it was easy enough to, to get that done pretty quickly. Man, 20 days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When the editor told me she needed six weeks to edit it, and it's like, really? (laughs) (laughs) You can't do it any faster than that? I wrote it in like a tenth of that time. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Do you do any creative writing? No. With the plot twists and the, no? No, no, nothing. Um, I barely even read any creative writing. Um, I read, you know, 40, 50 business books a year and maybe five nonfiction books a year. So it's, my brain is so left tilted that the uh fiction stuff does not is not a big appeal to me that is totally fair and congrats on reading 40 and 50 plus five nonfiction books a year that is awesome Mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna stop taking up all your time and make sure you have time tonight with your family but um any parting advice or any I almost said any last words, and that's that's going back to that morbid place. But um, what is the best piece of advice you received from a mentor? Sure. So there is a guy named uh, Dan Andrews. He has a podcast called Tropical MBA. I met him a couple times. But one of the pieces of advice that he gives out and he gave to me is that, you know, in life, there are certain kind of scripts or kind of paths that you're expected to follow, like, For me, it was, I'm going to go to college at Dakota State University. I'm going to get a computer science degree. I'm going to work at Citibank writing code all day. I'll get married. I'll have a wife, a kid, and that'll be my life. And it's, you know, there are so many of these things like you're expected to become a doctor or you're expected to become a lawyer or whatever. It's just, um, I'd encourage people, you know, to write, you know, kind of write their own script and follow their own path. 
you know, just because somebody has an expectation of you or that's, you know, what your other people in your major are doing or anything like that, doesn't mean you have to do that. Um, you know, a lot of my friends that also graduate with computer science degrees, they work at like a web design agency or they, you know, work at a bank or um, a company doing programming. And I did that for a while and, I, you know, thought, you know, hey, this isn't for me. I, I could do something better than this. And I kind of diverted off that path and, and did my own thing. And so if you're on a script and you don't like it, a life script, you know, maybe figure out there's there's something else you can do. And there's lots of creative ways that people, you know, provide for themselves. And it's, you don't need to just have a regular job and work 40 hours a week and, you know, develop your own path, follow your own script. And, you know, just don't, don't accept that the life you have now is, is the life that you need to keep living because you can always be somebody different. Like when I was in high school, I worked at Burger King and then like six years later, I had, was getting a master's degree at DSU. I was teaching um, computer science classes for the school to you know get a free college edu- or get a free degree and I went back and I was talking to some of the people at Burger King and it's like so what are you doing now I was like oh I'm teaching classes at DSU and it's like what really that when you just worked here like five or six years ago yeah but it's like you can become somebody different if you want to so don't don't be stuck being the person you are if that's not who you want to be I love that. That is great advice from my brilliant friend, Matt Paulson, who thank you again, Matt, for giving up your time to, to speak to us today. I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners do too. Once again, I will have information about Matt Paulson and his book slash books in today's show notes. And once again, Matt, thank you so much. Yeah, Thank you, Sarah. All right. Have a great evening.